Greetings. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Morning, everybody. Great to see you today. Thank you, Doug, for reading. Sarah, thank you for reading over at uh, West Falls Church, our volunteer coordinator over there. Today we're wrapping up uh, the book of James, adulting. We've adulted enough. No more adulting after today. It's all over. That's the good news for today. What is uh, James all about? Fairly simple book, actually, when you really think about it. Uh, you know, it's uh, very, very practical in many ways. It talks us how, what do we walk like, talk like, think like, act like. Last week we talked about the two different teams. Remember that? There's the selfish team and there's the selfless team, and it really breaks down. That's kind of the core of the book of James and of Christianity, selflessness or selfishness, you know, so two different teams. You know, it's great that this morning is quite a buzz uh, here at Grace this morning. People are so excited because there's a very selfish team coming from Texas here today, and the selfless team from D.C. is just going to trounce them, and when we talked about that, you know, this morning, people were just, everybody, total, like everybody was into Jesus' team this morning and what's going to happen. I think that's awesome. I want to applaud you for that. I want to applaud you for being on Jesus's team, okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, lean to your neighbors. What's he talking about? All right? All right. So, um, oh, welcome, those watching online. So if you have a Bible, grab the book of James. We just read at the end of chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 5. These are very important uh, verses. Uh, so, we're, you know, James is all about faith building, it's so about faith building. This is like the how-to book. You want to know how to build your faith? Well, here you go. The book of James is the how-to book on building our faith. Just like we drive around, we see so many gymnasiums around about how to build your muscles. Have you noticed that? There's so many gyms on every corner. There's a gym. It's about how to build, how to build your muscles. So what, this is what we know is, is that the Bible says we've all been given a measure of faith. In other words, you don't get more faith. You, you have a measure, you have what you have, and you build it up. It's the same thing, way with your muscles. You, you don't get more muscles. So when you see somebody who has big muscles, they've taken the muscles they have, and they've exercised it, and they've made it bigger. It's the same thing with your faith, right? So we, act, we have to exercise it. So what James does here is 
he gives us exercises to go through that will actually build our faith. I can drink all the protein shakes in the world. It's not going to build my muscles. I have to actually do exercises. So what James talks about here is how to exercise. We go to the gym, right, and we exercise. And what's interesting is, is as you're as you're exercising, your muscles actually feel like they're getting weaker, but they're getting, in other words, in order to get stronger, you have to feel like you're getting weaker. So you go and you, you build your muscles up and you walk out into the great big world and everybody says, wow, look at your muscles. This is incredible. I mean, just, you're a sight to behold. I mean, some of you looked in the mirror this morning and like, I can't, this is awesome the way I look, right? Do you, you know what I'm talking about. And so that's why you go, that's why you go to the gym. Well, James is saying this is why you go to church. Church is like a gym. You know, it's not like a spa. It's like a gym. You go there to kind of go through these exercises and actually talk about, think about how you can put your faith into practice. They're like exercises. And then you walk out into the great big world and you show off, you show off your muscles. You show off your faith. You actually put them into practice that makes a difference. You know, there's only one time that I know of in all of Scripture that Jesus Christ was amazed. There's a lot of talk about people being amazed throughout the life of Christ, but only one time that Jesus Christ was amazed, and he was amazed over what? Faith. Faith of the Roman centurion. He's like, he says, oh my goodness. He says, wow, your faith. So if you want to wow, if you want to wow people, build your muscles, and if you want to wow Jesus, then build your faith. And so James tells us how to do it here. How does it do it? Church isn't a spa for club members. It's a gym for faith builders. Three things I'd like to mention before we get into specifically what the text is today. Number one, just to recap, this is all about how to build your faith. Study. The Bible says, where does faith come from? It comes from hearing the word of God. And so we study the word. As we study the word, our faith grows. We deepen our understanding. It builds our faith and it plays out in very practical ways in the world. Uh, There was a guy, William Booth, right? He deepened his understanding of the Bible and it led him to do something very practical. Who knows what that was? William Booth. Anybody recognize that name? He started the Salvation Army. Same thing happened with the Red Cross. Same thing could be said for the invention of hospitals and orphanages and the idea of human rights. We've talked about all this stuff throughout it. So this is where church attendance and being in a group comes in because you hopefully at church, we're digging in, deepening our understanding. And it plays itself, as we deepen it, it plays itself out in very, very practical ways. Okay, And when you have experienced, as James says, the new birth or the second spiritual birth, you're hungry to deepen your understanding and you're also hungry to apply it very practical ways. James is a very practical book. The second thing is about serving. Not only are you hungry to understand, but you're hungry to serve. This is what happens when you've been born, right? You have this second spiritual birth. You're looking for ways to build your faith, and serving actually builds your faith. So we just, uh, you know, we talked about this both at here and uh, over at West Falls Church. We did sign-ups last week. You have a bunch of people sign up to be on teams. And there's different ways that you can sign up to be on teams. You can say, you know what? You know, I like to serve. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on a team. That's good. You know, or the church is making me feel, feel guilty. I want to be on a team. That's kind of good. Yes. All right. Whatever. But here's the best way to look at it. I would like to build my faith and to approach it as a ministry. Serving, James says, it's, it's a ministry. Peter says it's, we're, all, we're a royal priesthood. In other words, we are all ministers. And so it's not me showing up and saying, okay, can I hold a door? Can I park a car? Can I move a case or something in church? No, no. How can I minister? 
How can I make a difference? So very prayerfully. So when we do these signups, as we do like twice a year, it's not an opportunity to, come on, we want you to feel guilty or come on, come and help the church. Those are all wonderful things. Yes, but it's a great opportunity to grow your faith. It's a basic way to grow your faith. Serving grows your faith because hopefully you pray about it. Say, God, use me in some way. These are all, these are all faith builders. Now for today, stewardship. What's a steward? Who is a steward? A steward is somebody who's in charge of somebody else's property, somebody else's money, okay? So let's, let's go through these verses because both verse 13 of chapter 4 and verse 1 of chapter 5 begin the same way. Now, now listen, you. <laughs> so that kind of, oh, okay, something's coming here. There's a warning. Now listen, you. Anybody who says to you, now look, you, you know that you're getting ready to have a serious conversation, right? Well, this is what James is doing. Now listen, you. So he says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So on the surface here, if you don't think below the surface, you say, well, God's against strategic planning because that's what they're doing. They've come up with a business plan. These are business people. They've come up with a business plan. Right? They have a plan, they have a target, they have a profit timetable. We're going to make money in this business in one year. It's a fairly aggressive business plan. For those of you who do business plans, you know that. So is God against strategic planning? He's not against strategic planning because he goes on to tell us that this isn't about that. This is about the illusion of control. That somehow we can control our lives and the world around us and even we can control our money. It's about a big illusion of control. And the real issue here what he says in verse number 15 is about not including God in your plans. Like, I'm doing all this. So he says in, in verse number 15, you, what you should say instead, he says, if it is the Lord's will. In other words, seek God. So Jesus says we should seek first. Remember, we've talked about this. James draws on the teachings of Jesus more than any other book in the New Testament. And he says we should seek first the kingdom of God. And what James is saying here is you're not even seeking first. You're not even seeking last. You haven't even thought about God. It's like, hey, it's my plans. I'll make my plans, and then God come along and bless my plans. Then he talks about boasting. What is this boasting? We talk about boasting. We understand what boasting is. But here's what boasting is in the Bible. Boasting in the Bible is a military term. This word here is a Greek military term, boasting. So what would you do before you went into a battle? Here's what you do for getting battle, right? You would boast. How do you get a bunch of young guys to run into almost certain death? You say, you're invincible, you cannot fail. This is a can't miss. And this is what James is talking about here. You're, you think you can't lose. You think you can't miss. You haven't even thought about the fact that you can't control the future. This is an issue. All of us today, our lives could, could drastically change. You don't know it. You walk out of here, your life could drastically change. It could affect your life. It could affect your family, everything. It, nothing's a sure bet. Nothing, nothing is a sure bet. There's nothing that is a can't lose. And this is what they were doing. They were boasting, right? That somehow they can control the future, right? Everybody thought the Titanic was a sure bet. That can't sink. Boy, it sunk. Everybody thought the housing market was a sure bet until 2008. Never happened before. Investors said, great, you should invest here because it's what? It's never happened before. Never happened before. And then what did we say to them after it happened? All right. Why did, why did you say that? And they said, well, it never happened before. Never happened. Why? Because they don't know. The smartest minds do not know about the Titanic. The smartest minds don't know about the housing. You think you can control life? Kwame Brown. Kwame Brown was a sure thing. Michael Jordan, greatest players ever played basketball, came to Washington, D.C., 
for the Wizards. There's a sure bet. Kwame Brown. Oh, my gosh. Sports fans. Was that a sure bet? It was a sure bet that it was wrong. RG3. Oh, my gosh. It's not, a, it's not a sure thing. Do you know that some of the greatest minds in the world thought that Starbucks would never work? People are going to sit down around and drink coffee. That's crazy. We're talking about the greatest minds. How about the segue? How about the segue? You know, one of the major venture capitalists said this about the segue. He said it is more important than the internet. Segue, the little things we write around. It's going to be more important than the internet. Steve Jobs, smart guy. Smart guy. He's pretty good about seeing what's going to happen in the future, right? Very, very smart guy. He put a ton of money into it. And he said this, quote, it's as big a deal as the PC. Didn't make it. Okay, so as smart as you are, as smart as other people are, as smart as I am, okay, we can't control or predict the future. You don't know what's going to happen with your health, with your life, with your relationships, with your money. And what they were doing was not including God in that equation at all. And that's what's really going on here. They're leaving God out. And one of the ways they're really leaving God out is they're leaving God out of their money. Okay? You can't control money is what James is saying here. So this is what he says. Chapter 5. Now listen, you rich people. Now, let's stop right there because you're going to say, well, I'm not rich, so I, I should just like, I should tune out. That's, this, is, this is contextual to something that's going on. This applies to every single person. That's not what James is saying. You're misunderstanding the point if you think somehow. And besides the fact, we are Americans. Take a trip to some other places in the world. We will learn really quick in comparison. We're rich, all of us, okay? Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail. So he's telling them to repent because the misery that is coming on you, your wealth is rotted. Why is he saying this? Your wealth is rotted. Your moths have eaten your clothes. See, clothes back in those days was, was, was like money. Is what, I mean, that's like currency to them. And so they just heaped a bunch of their clothes. Together. It was like heaping a bunch of money together. And he says, you know, you're trying to hold on to it as, af, as if it can help you feel good and secure about the future. We do that. It's very natural, right? You get a lot of money, like, oh, yes, if I just get a lot of money, I can be free and I can retire and I can never answer to anybody ever again. What freedom? Because I can now control everything, right? And Jesus talks about that. Talks about the rich guy who's like, made a bunch of money and I'm going to build bigger barns. And that night he dies. Jesus says that was really foolish. What is foolishness in the Bible? Foolishness in the Bible is making plans, thinking we somehow we can control the world. And yet there's something happens that we can't control. So he goes on. Your wealth is rotted and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Oh, my gosh. Things are going to be very unhappy. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. And so what's being said here is that you can't control money. You think you can't. You want to. You want to, but you can't. It's very unreliable. And this is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Don't trust money. He's teaching. He says, do not trust in their money. Teach people not to trust their money. Why? Because it's so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. I know we want and we should. And the Bible is all for planning. And the Bible is all for saving. And the Bible is against debt. And all of these things, yes. But if somehow you're finding all your security and the fact that you put money away, all that can change like that. It won't. It won't work. Jesus says it, Matthew 6. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moss and rust eat them and destroy them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moss and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Okay? Our happiness, 
Our happiness does not come from money. It cannot bring us happiness. As the Beatles says, it can't bring, it can't bring us love, right? Any Beatles fans? No, nobody likes the Beatles. Okay. Can't bring, can't bring love. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, those who love money will never have enough. Actually, studies kind of confirm all this stuff, guys. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Oh, yeah, it's true. So what good is wealth except perhaps to maybe watch it slip through your fingers? Now, I know somebody. I don't know them well, but I know people that know this person and their family very well. So this isn't like something I read in a newspaper or on the Internet or something like that, okay? This is direct knowledge. And I actually know somebody who very, very recently won $10 million in the lottery. Yes, Yes, $10 million. And so they were going to take all their family, all their family, and go to the Nats game. Nats playoff game. It's a really big deal. And so you would think the whole family would be elated. I mean, you couldn't. I mean, this just rolled out. And like three days later, they get a big limo, and they're going to take a bunch of family, and they spend a ton of money on Nats because they have a ton of money now, right? So be really, really mad. So, so, so be really happy. And so what happens is, can you believe this? The son gets mad at the father who won the $10 million because he didn't like the limousine that the dad ordered to take him to the Nats game. They got in a fight. He punched his dad, and he ends up in jail. Now, how can that, you know, I mean, nothing should make you mad with $10 million, right? If, right? Nothing should, everybody's like, whatever. <laughs> I don't, order another limo, right? Here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. It can't make us happy. People win the lottery, they have a spike in happiness, and then, then their happiness levels actually go below what they were before. Okay, this is exactly what the Bible is saying. They believe that somehow they can control their happiness and control their future through money. Now, here's really interesting in verse 4 of chapter 5. Look what it says. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Almighty. You know what that's saying? It's saying that money talks. I believe that a lot of sayings that we have today go back to things that are in the Bible. So this is saying that money actually talks. The money, it's crying out against you. And what is it saying? Well, there's three things that I want to say that it says. First of all, it says, forget God. Forget God. So if you like to fill things in, fill that one in, forget God. Deuteronomy chapter 8 says, Be careful that you do not forget your, forget your God, failing to observe His commands and His laws and His decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increases, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you forget the Lord your God. Money speaks to us and it says, you know what, forget God. Second thing it says, replace God. Proverbs, trust in your money and down you go. In other words, you should trust in God, but trust, money says, trust in me. Don't trust in God. Matthew 6, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one or love the other. You'll be devoted to one or you despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money says, trust me. God says, trust me. We have to choose, okay? So trust God. It says, forget God, replace God. Lastly, money speaks and it says, insult God. That's what's happening in James chapter 5. You're mistreated. You're holding back the wages of these workers. So these were landowners that specifically Jane was talking to, and they had people that owned land, and they, they deserved the money. But what landowners often would do in those days is they would hold it back, supposed to pay them at the end of the day, they didn't. And that's what money does is you've done this. You've earned this. You control this so it's yours and you should feel good about it. Money speaks this, right, this independence from God. It's yours this is the thinking they had. Now, God talks, and he says this. He says, trust me. God says, trust me. 
Haggai chapter 2. The silver is mine, God speaking. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Is that the way you look at your money? See, stewards, they're not stewarding their own money. They're stewarding somebody else's property, somebody else's money. And God says, it's mine and you're a steward of it. Is that the way you view your money? Is that the way I view my money? Is the money in my bank account mine or is it God's? And he's called me because I'm a person of mature faith. He's called me to steward his money, not my money. Which way is it? And so it says here, Haggai, it's, God says, it's mine. The silver's mine. The gold's mine. People with mature faith, this is the way they approach it. They approach it as stewards. Deuteronomy chapter 8. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Well, wait a minute. I, I have the, I, it's my ability. I've done it. And if I've done it, well, then it's mine. And we're great at this as, as Americans, right? I've done it. I've earned it. I've pulled myself up my, my bootstraps, and it's all mine. And God says, no, it's, it's not. It's not. That's the wrong way to look at money. So he says, trust me. The second thing that God says about money and about life specifically, he says, test me. Test me. Trust me and test me. Mal Malachi chapter 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What's a tithe? It's 10% of our income. Bring the whole tithe into our storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you. There will not be enough room to store it. So the test, that word test is what caught my attention many, many years ago. I'd never heard of this before. I remember I was 20 years old. I was driving down the road. I happened to be listening to uh, a radio station and a preacher was preaching and he said this verse. I'd grown up and I'd been in church. I've been through a year of Bible college. I've been in church my entire life. I never heard this verse before. I said, wait a minute, what is this? What is this test thing? See, because you never read in the Scripture, you're never to test God, ever. Matter of fact, it says, don't put God to the test. And here God's speaking, He says, test me. So this is weird. You're always supposed to trust God. There's only one area that I know of in the entire Bible. God says, test me. Test me in this. Now, I know every time we talk about money, things get a little nervous. So don't be nervous, okay? Don't be nervous. This is really important. You know why it's important? Because oh, God doesn't care about my money. Okay, all right, all right. You care about your money <laughs> a lot, and God cares about what you care about, okay? Money, right, and what we do with our, with, with, with our money is a great exercise of our faith because the way we handle money doesn't really have uh, as much to do about how much money would. People say, well, you know what, you know, I'll do this or that when I, you know, when I have money, but I don't have money now, so eventually. No, 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 this is more a test of our faith. It's an exercise of our faith for our faith to grow stronger. And so this thing always caught me. It says, test me in this. Test me in this. So I've been around church long enough, now pastoring for a couple decades, that I've just heard story after story. And I got to tell you, you know, I, people say, you know, I, I never did this. I didn't want to do this. And finally I said, you know what? Okay, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this tithing thing. And they said, I can't believe what's happened. So I, I had somebody, I asked them because I knew, we did this thing 18 months ago. And I said to everybody, hey, look, we're going to do this thing. We're talking about money. And I said, try it for a month. You know, put God to the test for, I think it was a month or something like that. And I said, hey, if it doesn't work out, you know, we'll just, we'll just give all your money back. The church will give all your money back. I know, it's crazy. We did it. And uh, nobody asked for their money back. And I got a number of stories in from people. And uh, one story, um, I contacted a guy this past week. And I said, hey, remind me of exactly what's happened. And then there's been 18 months then. So, so tell me, is there any new things? He said, you know, it's amazing that um, he, he, he had a situation. It's too long to get into. But an unexpected amount of money, like a very large amount of money, uh, was, was given to him. 
after he did this test. And he's like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe this. And uh, he's a fairly young guy, and uh, now he's, uh, he's, he's bought a house in Arlington, and uh, he's building his own business. Now look, 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 you're thinking, okay, here's a get-rich-quick scheme. That's not, what we're, that's not what we're talking about here. But I will say this, you know, if somebody was to ask me, hey, John, how, how is it that you know God exists? How is it that you see God work? You know, Paul in Romans immediately points to all of creation, that we have all of creation to look at, and which is wonderful. It's a great apologetic for the existence of God. It just is here. We are here. We exist. How did that happen? It's a great apologetic for God. But somewhere, for me at least, on the short list of things, in addition to that, has got to be my experience and also listening to other people's experience when they have when they have tested God, when they, when they tithe regularly and the things that have happened. I'm, I'm, I'm very serious. So, so you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, okay, you're just trying to get us to give a bunch of money to the church. So here's what I'm going to say. And I, I say this almost every single time I talk about money here. Uh, if you think I'm just trying to get you to give a bunch of money to this church, I fully believe in this. I, I fully, fully, because I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it. If you will, in a prayerful, worshipful, prayerful, worshipful way, okay, Give God 10%. Right, the deal is God says that he feels that, that he can do more with 90% of your income than you can do with 100% of your income. What God is saying here is get me involved in your money. Like if you prayerfully, worshipfully do that, right, I am fully convinced that you will see things begin to happen in your life and you should really write a log on this. So here's the thing, because you're probably concerned that I'm just trying to get you to give money, give it to another church. So don't give it here. Right? If you've never tried this before, don't give it here. Give it, give it to another church and see what God does. Journal it. Pray about it. Treat it as worship. See what God does. There's a minister. Uh, he's here uh, locally, and uh, he listens to a number of our uh, services, catches us uh, online or afterwards or whatever, and uh, he actually teaches a seminary class. He asked me to come one day and uh, to teach a class on preaching. And um, he, he brought up this whole money thing because he, he's heard me say it before. And he just asked me, he says, John, could you just go ahead and give our name of our church and our address so people can immediately, <laughs> can immediately do that. Uh, it's, a great, it's a great exercise. It's a great exercise of our faith. Now, now we're going to close this whole thing down right here, and then we're going to have communion. What is really, really being said here, whether it's your money or it's anything else, what's really being said here? from James in these very important verses, God is saying this. The last thing God says, God speaks this, include me. Include me. God wants us to include God in every part, in every single part of our lives. Every relationship. This is, this is what mature faith does. Remember, we're talking about mature faith. What does mature faith look like? Mature faith includes God in every relationship, every decision, every plan, every dollar, every aspect of our lives to include God. That's my challenge for you this week. Remember a couple weeks ago we challenged you to choose life with your words and not death because the life and death is in the power of the tongue, right? So here's the challenge this week. Include God in every part of your life. So we're going to have communion here in just a moment. You know what the word communion means? It means to share in life. And what God is offering us, what Christ is offering us in communion, he said, I want to share every part of your life. So as we take communion this morning, do that. Say, God, all of this week, I want you to be a part of every aspect of my life. Every aspect. 
everything. You might think, oh, man, God doesn't, God just wouldn't want to be a part of this. Look, the cross of Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ went to the cross and sacrificed that much and he would not turn his back on us, there is nothing you can do, there's no part of your life that God's going to say, I can't believe this. I had no idea they were doing this. God wants to be a part of every part of our lives. So I want to ask you this week as the challenge and today as we take communion to think about that, to include God in every part of your life, okay? All right, West Falls Church, uh, Pastor Derek's going to get up and he's going to uh, help officiate the communion service uh, there. And so I just want to say over at West Falls Church, please include God in every part of your life and we love you and God bless Okay, for those of us here, the communion team's coming, and we are going to serve you uh, communion there uh, in your seats. Uh, for those of you who are watching online, I want to encourage you to, uh, if you can get some juice and get some bread, to take communion with us. As we prepare our hearts here for communion, I really want you to think about this challenge this week. What part of your life are you, like, closing the door on God saying, you know, not that part? I mean, James really focuses on the money deal this week. Okay, so maybe that really resonates with some of us. Okay. For maybe some of us, he also talks about planning. Maybe you're making your plans. And you're like, not, you're closing God out. Not that part, God, whatever it is. As we serve you communion this morning, we want you just to take the bread, take the cup, hold it. We're going to have, we're going to have some music playing I will come back up in a moment and we will eat and drink together, but I really want you to think about God. I want you to be a part of every part of my life. So, team, if you could begin to serve, that would be awesome. We're told in Scripture that the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, that he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And that in the same way that he took the cup. So this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is, means his very life. He gave his very life. He sacrificed his very life for us. It's the cup of the new covenant given for us. Before we pray and we eat and we drink together, I just want to again encourage you. All of us have some areas in our lives where maybe we're embarrassed about, like we want to keep God out of that. You know, God will hate us if he knew that. That's not true. Or maybe we want to control something so bad that we don't want to allow God into that area because maybe God will change us. I just want to encourage you today. You know, what communion is about is really God's incredible, incredible love for all of you. That God would never turn his back on you. And to open every part of your life up to God and allow God in. Could you think of that one area here this morning where you've been kind of locking the door to God? And would you maybe rethink that and allow God into that area? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. We thank you for this moment, this communion, this sharing of life. Jesus, for what you've done, your ultimate sacrifice, your incredible love. Lord, I just ask that every single one of us would trust you enough to allow you into every single part of our lives, every nook, every cranny, every decision, every plan, every area. Lord, bless the eating of this bread 
in the drinking of this cup to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ and your incredible love. In your holy name, amen. Let us eat and drink together. going to say a brief closing prayer and remind you that our prayer team is right over here. They love to pray for you every single week. There are special things that God wants to do in all of our lives. I can guarantee you there's things that God wants to do in your life, your plans, your career, your relationships, and yes, even your money, even your money. At some point, I've realized throughout the course of my life, I want to get God involved <laughs> even in my money. God has things and plans for you. I would encourage you that if you want to pray with somebody, our team is over here. And if you're a guest today and you want to know what it means to be a church for people who don't go to church, I'd love to meet you right over here at Grace in 5. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless every single one of us today, whatever our challenges are, whatever we're facing, where we need strength, whether it's physical or emotional, or relational, or even in our finances. Every single area of our life, God, you know what's going on. Every person in this room is a story. You know what's happening in our stories. God, I ask that you would help us and guide us, that we would find wholeness and fulfillment in you as we place our trust in you. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.